it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union, and they've created a fully loaded car buying experience. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Team Never Quit podcast. Marcus, how you doing today, man? I'm blessed and unstoppable. There you go. Hey, we got a Patreon question of the day. What is your dream car? Do you go classic or do you go supercar? What are you thinking? Dre, you want this one? You go first. You, what do you got? Yeah, so the question is, what's the your dream, dream car? car? Your dream car. Man, um, I'm not even that big of a car person, but if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick a, I like Mercedes, so I'll go with, I don't know, what's the highest level Mercedes they have? I don't know enough about cars. I probably <laughs> would not do this question justice. I'll probably go with the, uh, what do you got, the S550? That's probably not the highest they have, is it? I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not up on my no Mercedes because they had the different classes of it, too. I, yeah, there's a lot of classes. Yeah, the Maybach's nice, though, I, I, right? Is that how I say yeah. that right? The Maybach? The Maybach is the Mercedes, right? Yeah, right, right yeah. Yeah. So I'll go with the yeah, Maybach. Yeah. I'll take the Maybach. Uh, I'll probably get more than one car. If I can afford that, then I'll get another one. I'll get me a uh, probably an Escalade as well, like SUVs. But they just guzzle the gas. They know, do. They drive, especially in the city. All right. So I'm a, I'm a, this is my wife, Melanie Dre. Hi. Hey, Melanie. Good morning. So I, I'm going to go with the Batmobile. Oh. And then, I, uh, but the one that that um, the the uh, I just drew a blank on his name, Pat, not Pat Patrick Bateman. Uh, <laughs> who's the new Batman? Uh, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I can't think of his. Hold on, Google. No, not Ben Affleck. Uh, Batman. Adam West. What's Adam West? Not the first one. Thank you. Why not? Yeah, Christian Bale. There we Thank go. Yes. Kara Bobbin. Yes. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm, I've never been like a real car person either, so I don't know if I would have like the best answer to this, but I've, I've always liked trucks. So I think uh, like a real old school, like a Ford F1 or something like that with like the wood bed and things like that. I think something like that would be real nice. What about that buggy they drove on the moon or in like an Armageddon? <laughs> nice. Remember Armageddon? They had that, 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 let's do something heavy like that. Yeah, I think, I think anything like that would be fine. Melanie, do you have a dream car? Uh, a Sprinter van. A Sprinter van. Like all decked out with the... That's what she's dreaming of right now. No, it's legit. <laughs> I've had this. This has been like the last 10 years. I want like, not the kind with the whole bunch of seats in the back, but like the, it looks like a private plane in the back. Oh, and I want you to drive me around. I, well, I knew where that was going. Yeah. <laughs> I get the rest part of that. Just like we talked about earlier. Chauffeur. Yeah. Oh, that's what I do now, man. I, I, as you get older, the kids come in and play, the wife and everything, it slows down. You go into the chauffeur mode. It's yeah. a thing. The tactical driving. You got... <laughs> All right. Well, we need a dream car. Yeah, right? Well, thank you guys so much for your Patreon question. If you want to ask a question to the guys, check, check us out. Patreon.com slash Team Never Quit. You get some behind-the-scenes access, some cool swag. Uh, all kind of cool stuff that we're doing for our Patreon members. We've got a great guest in store. Dre Baldwin helps athletes navigate the professional world of sports and get recognized for their talent. He is a speaker, author, YouTuber, a former professional basketball player. Welcome to the show, Dre. Thank you for having me, guys. I'm really excited to be here. Well, man, I, I, I look forward to hearing your whole story because I going through 
everything that you've done up to this point, we were just talking about, I was like, man, this guy better be a lot older than me to have all this down on the paper because I'm feeling like I'm not doing much. <laughs> and um, so congratulations on that. But just to back it up, man, tell us a little bit about like about yourself and where you come from, how, how you got to here. Sure, I'll give you the, the three-minute version, Marcus. So my background is from the city of Philadelphia, PA. I now live in Miami. But I was always into sports, you know, played a little bit of – no touch football in the driveways, kickball in the backyards. Well, driveway, we didn't have backyards. Driveways where I'm from. Uh, started to play football, but never got around to actually hitting because my family couldn't afford equipment. So my football career wasn't long. Then I played a little bit of baseball and played that for a couple of years. But when I realized I had no talent for baseball, I stopped that. And I stumbled over to the basketball court around age 14. Now, 14 is pretty late to start playing a sport, especially if you think you're going to go somewhere in a sport, college, let alone the pros. But I, was, I started late, and in my career went at the beginning pretty much how it sounds like it would. So I wasn't pretty, very good at basketball. I didn't make my high school team until I was a senior. I sat the bench that year. I averaged two points per game. For those who don't know basketball, two points is not a lot. Maybe in soccer or hockey is a lot, but in basketball, <laughs> it's not, not too good. Uh, I had the one to play in college, so I walked on. For those who don't know what that means, that means you have no scholarship. Nobody knows who you are. You literally walk into the gym and you try to earn your spot on the team as a, as a nobody. I was able to do that, and I played college basketball. I didn't set the world on fire, but I did play, which means maybe I was getting better. But at the same time, I was playing at the Division three level, and D3 sports is the third tier of college sports. So when you all watch college football on Saturdays or March Madness in the spring, that's D1, Division one. I. I was playing at Division three down in the basement. So us players from D3, we usually don't even get – we don't even dream about making it pro, let alone do we actually do it. So when I got out of school, I did not – go pro immediately. I didn't have any agents knocking on my door trying to sign me. There was no bidding war to, for my services. My first year out of college, Marcus, I actually worked a couple regular, quote unquote, regular gigs. I worked as a assistant manager of Foot Locker. I sold gym memberships at Bally Total Fitness. Uh, Bally's is out of business right now. Hopefully not because of me. I think I did pretty well for them. <laughs> but uh, after that year, one year removed from graduation, this is, give everybody a timeline, this is 2005. I went to this event called an exposure camp. Now, an exposure camp is like a job fair, but it's for athletes, where instead of you showing up with your resume, shaking hands and talking about what you do, you actually bring your sneakers and your gear and you play basketball against a bunch of other guys who are all we're all there for one reason. We're all trying to get a job in professional sports. So it's kind of like the NFL combine, but for basketball. Uh -huh. But at the same time, we aren't we aren't the highly, highest touted people. Anybody can come to an exposure camp because this is a for pay event. You pay money to go to the event. So I paid my last $250 in cash. As a matter of fact, I didn't even have a credit card or a bank account in 2005. So I paid in cash at the door and we just walked in and played basketball. 200 guys, all of us trying to get a job overseas, play ball. Now the audience is not just regular people off the street. The audience are scouts, agents, managers, and coaches from all over the world who are looking for talent. So an exposure camp is also like a, a casting call to give people an idea of what it's like. Everybody's trying to get a job and the people who can get you a job are sitting there watching you. And this is only two days. So I played well at this exposure camp, did my thing there, and I got a good scouting report, and I got some good footage. And I took that scouting report and footage because I didn't get offered a contract on the spot. I went back to Philadelphia, back to my job at Bally Total Fitness. And on my days off and after work, I was getting on Google, and I was Googling basketball agents because my logic was basketball agents are the, the go-between. They're the middlemen between the job opportunities that I want and the talent, and hopefully I was the talent. So I started to call agents. If I could get an agent to represent me, they know the people that I need to connect with. They can help me get on. So I cold called about 60 basketball agents, Marcus, and of those 60, 20 of them replied to me and said, OK, let me see what you have. Because I told them, hey, here's who I am. Here's where I play. I have a scouting report. I have footage. 20 of them said, OK, let me see your footage. Let me see what you can do. And of those 20 that I sent my footage to, one agent replied back to me, one guy. And he signed me and he became my agent and he helped me get my career started. That was in Lithuania in the fall of right around this time, 2005. So just to go back in the story to give you one more piece that ties us all together. That footage from that exposure camp that I just told you I went to, it was on this thing called a VHS tape. Y'all remember VHS tapes? <laughs> oh, man, yeah. That's back in the We're 1900s, old. right? 1900s. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not as young as you think I am. So, yeah, it's a VHS tape. So That's disturbing. He looks tape. really, really young. Look at that. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> yeah, so this VHS tape, 
I knew that, you know, these things, if you drop it, it gets wet. You leave it in the sun too long, it gets destroyed. Now, this is the most valuable footage I have is this VHS tape. So I needed this for safekeeping. So I took it to this audio visual store, got it transferred onto a data CD, put the data CD in the computer, and I uploaded it to this brand new website I heard about. You can put as much footage on there for free as you want it. It's called YouTube.com. And yep. that's where I started Sounds to familiar. build what we now call a personal brand on the Internet. Because I was just putting up basketball videos, but people started watching them. And that's where I started to get known online. And the ironic thing is you do all this work to become a professional athlete. But I was playing in Europe. Most people in America never even seen a European basketball game. Most of my audience knew me from the videos I was making on YouTube, not that I was a pro basketball player. So it's just funny that it worked out that way. And along the lines, probably around 2010, I found myself unemployed at one point and I didn't have a job. I'm figuring out I'm an adult. I'm like, all right, well, how am I going to live and take control of my life? So I asked myself a really important question here, Marcus. And it was this. How can I do something where I'm doing what I love to do, which is play ball, where I have some natural talents, which is being on a computer because I'm, I'm a computer geek and an athlete at the same time. And I can make money from it. How can I do all three at once? And that's when I started focusing on what we now call building the brand or now we call being an influencer, putting more videos up, writing more articles, all those kind of things. And at this time, players were asking me questions about mindset, about, well, you know, why work out every day? How'd you keep that vision when you were getting cut from the basketball team? So I started making these videos every Monday called the weekly motivation. And that would just be a little quick selfie video before selfie videos were cool. Two, three minutes every Monday, just giving people some mindset piece that I had, I had just gleaned over the years. And it could be for sports, it could be for anything. I did that weekly motivation for about 400 Mondays in a row. And those videos became the foundation of what I do now, which is yeah, your base. the whole work on your game right. philosophy. Right. And I'm not going to tell you the whole story. I'm sure we'll fill it in as we talk here. Wow. That's awesome. So I, 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 I got a lot of questions now. So when you said you started basketball late at 14... Just back it up yeah. with that. Why is it? I hear that a lot. Like, hey, man, if you don't start your kid at birth from from this, then they'll never accomplish anything. <laughs> but I, right. going through everything that I've been through, I started training because I have kids now. And from from zero to seven in our family, I just let them be kids. I would talk to the wife. I was like, hey, man, just let him whatever they get into, they get into. And then once they their attention catches something, then I'll 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 see how far they go in it. Because if I start if you start pressing on them real fast, then you can burn them out. Because I don't think sometimes our kids want to be interested in what their parents are interested in. I think that's a, I think they're opposite, right? And I hear of a, there's there's quite a few people who start their career path later in life with sports, and, and, they, and it works out fine because they don't have any habits that 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 are formed by by not being coached through the game. How was it? I mean, did you? What, what's your opinion on that? There's there's an emerging school of thought to do what you're talking about here, Marcus, which is let your kids do whatever they want to do. Let them get involved in all different things, try different stuff out. And when they get to the point that they really want to focus on something, at least when they're old enough that they understand what that actually means, then the parent can get involved and you can you know, put the battery in their back and kind of supercharge the situation. While at the same time, there are other parents, especially people like athletes, people like myself, an athlete, and then you have kids, you want your kid to kind of be, you basically take all the stuff that you did wrong, all the things you did late, all the things you messed up, <laughs> right? you're like, all right, when I yeah, have a yeah, kid, yeah, yeah. I'm going to make sure they're going to be perfect, right? right. It's going to be like like, uh, like Frankenstein. So right? that's how you know I'm, who the I'm, athlete I'm, parent is in the stands, right? Exactly, because they know the everything that they okay. messed up, and yeah. they're going to make sure their son or daughter does not mess up the same way, and they're going to just, everything's going to be perfect. So they put the basketball in the crib or the football or whatever it's going to be, and they just want to groom their child up to be that athlete. All right. So I listen, call us that too, man. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I said some of them succeeded this. I and mean, some of their kids also burn out. So you never really know because every human is different. So you don't know how anyone's going to respond to different you know, stimuli. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. That's why you actually like you don't babysit your kids. You actually have to watch your own kids. That's the thing. I mean, that's mm. and, and and you see how they because it's the next version of us. Is all that is. Just all the that's doors right. are shut, and you're kind of following yourself through life. That's your new ride. Like you're that's a new version. 
And uh, exactly, just as the tree grows, every branch grows in a different direction. Not one branch grows in the same direction. Mm -hmm. So it's that same thing with family. And you're following all of them around. It's, I mean, it, it, it teaches you that more about yourself than, than I ever learned growing up. Actually, it makes you pay attention to what you, you did learn. Our mm -hmm. son is 10 years old, and he wants to play basketball. And he's okay. one of the smallest kids in his grade. <laughs> um, and he's never played a team sport before. And so we just, he did a basketball camp this summer for like a week. I mean, maybe five days or something. And he loved it. He's like, Mom, I want to play basketball. I want to be on a basketball team. So we put him in like the community. Our, his school doesn't have basketball yet. So at his age. So we put him in the community uh, league. And all the other kids have obviously been on these teams for many, many years. Because he's 10, mm -hmm. fifth grade. And he, I mean, yeah, we play, you know, at home. We shoot hoops and do a little defense and stuff, but he doesn't know the actual rules of the game. And so when right. certain things are happening, he's just standing there like, wait, what? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? That's a deep end of the pool. That's how we do it in this family. Yeah. I like, didn't know anything right. about anything. Just get out there. And I keep, all I keep telling him is to have fun. It's kind of hard. Like if you don't know the rules of the game, but you, <laughs> you know how, you know how it's played, I guess is, is the best way. Because I, one thing I was noticed is sitting in the stands, and I see these videos of parents getting upset because of the refs and everything. But the, if you know the kids don't know the rules. So a lot of times when the refs call a foul, it's just so they'll learn the rules. And, and that right. whole experience, uh, I'll tell you what, it was, it's what kind of brought me to a, a new uh, pers perspective in life, a new cycle of life, is having to see that vantage. Because each, each one of those stages we go through in life are designed to teach us something at a certain point. And you can't see out of that. Matter of fact, if you're holding a toe mm. into the last part of your life, you'll all the way we are athletes and the way we're designed, it'll consume us. It's like having right. both lives. It, man, it'll, it'll tear you up. As opposed to taking everything that you learned from the last life and putting it into the new one. I talked to some mm -hmm. of my buddies and, and, and they'll they'll say, you know, there's no job description, there's no jobs for snipers in the in the civilian world. I'm like, no, not for that job title and, and the end game of that, but everything that goes into making you up. The discipline, the patience, the, the how methodical mm -hmm. you are. You can apply that to anything. I mean, and that's 100%. just kind of like your armor going inside of you. Everything you learn, everything you do, it's designed that way. Same with sports. I mean, Same with training sports. That's, that's can the, apply. The, the perfect version of it. Perfect version of, of, of difficulty in life is playing sports. That's probably why we invented them. Yeah, I agree. So I your agree. parents didn't so many push parallels. you. Yeah, your parents didn't push you when you were a kid. You pushed yourself to to play when you wanted to play. Yes, that's correct. My parents were supportive. If I said I wanted to play, they could see I had some athletic ability, but they weren't, um, I don't know what you call those. They weren't helicopter parents when it came no, to no, sports. I call it, well, yeah, I call they our were. generation sports or stunt parents because our kids will do something. <laughs> And then they'll be like, hey, that right. was great, son. Get out of the way and watch this. Let me show you how it's done. Yeah, <laughs> I, I see us doing that all the time. And we'll take the heat on it because our life was hard. Like our generation, man, we've been through a lot. Right. That's right. That's right. So my parents, they were more about the academics, go to school, make sure you get your degree, get good grades. That's what their focus was. Now, if you want to play sports, cool. But if you mess up in school, then you're not playing a sport. So they kind of, once they saw I was into something, they would hold that over me to make sure I did what they wanted to make sure I was good at, which was getting my education. But as far as sports, my parents are not athletes. They support it, but they weren't like hiring coaches or driving me two hours to AAU tournaments. None of that. I had to, I basically had to bootstrap my way into becoming an athlete. This is the best <laughs> way I can describe it. So who, who gave you that drive? I mean, when you when you mm. sit down, like I, everyone asks me, like how do you get always that never quit attitude? I was like, man, because everything I ever had to do, I it was I was thinking about quitting. It was so tough on me that I had to literally get <laughs> built from the ground up. And a lot of times with guys like us, it's just our work ethic. Man, we'll just outwork you. How'd you how'd that come about? Really, it's from my competitiveness, Marcus. I'm just a competitive person, very competitive. And once I got into sports, I found that that was a well. First of all, I had good home training. You know, I had good. I had both parents at home. I got taught discipline. I got taught respect. I got taught um, honoring authority and respecting um, elders. All of that stuff. So then, 
knowing that I had these competitive impulses, I wasn't going to go out and do anything dumb with it. And one thing that I tell people all the time is that the athlete who goes out there with that killer instinct or the person who goes into the military and they get taught that killer instinct or they get to use that killer instinct and the thug standing on the corner who keeps going in and out of the system, we all have the exact same wiring. Absolutely, 100%. 100%. We'd probably be worse. same mindset. We'd be worse in the streets. Exactly, because we know how to. We can do it in a strategic 100%. way. That's right. We can be methodical. Methodical, about it. absolutely. Right. The only and the only difference with us, Marcus, is that we got shown a way to do it. It's something that's societally, socially acceptable, right? Which is sports or going into the military or something like that. So I always had those impulses. It's just that I had good influences around me to steer me into doing it in a way that I could actually, you know, have a job doing it. I can make money from it and not destroy myself or destroy other people with it. So my thing was always that competitiveness. And it wasn't even me competing against people so much, uh, Marcus and Melanie. I was competing against the situation. So when I found myself getting cut from the high school team or, you know, not playing at the Division three level. So people are looking at me like, okay, well, you're not going to become a pro. You're playing D3. Or when I got out of college and I didn't have a job playing ball and it looked like it was pretty much over for me, Nobody was saying that, but I made up the story in my mind that they were saying it because it gave me something to fight against, gave me a target, gave me something to shoot at. So that's that's always been my thing is just having that thing to aim for. If I don't have anything to aim for, then I'm not going to give my best effort. But when I do, that's when I can go into hyperdrive and bring out the best of me. Sure. That's awesome. Because most people, I mean, when you're at a D3 and you're not going to go to pros or anything, they'd give up at that moment and like, okay, shift focus. What Mm -hmm. else can I do in life? But you got out there and hustled your way into playing for the European leagues and, you know, doing what you love doing, you were going to find a way. That's right. And I know so many athletes at that D3 level who they, they wanted to do the same thing. They wanted to play pro basketball, but it's a very steep uphill climb you have to climb when you're coming from that level, and many of them just couldn't stay on the climb long enough to make it. You know what that molds y'all into? What there used to be a saying, man, like a well-rounded individual. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Remember that, <laughs> man? It's just like yes, well-rounded, well-versed. I mean, well, they they could play anywhere, they could travel anywhere. I'm like, how did you? You always got to think about it when we're sitting down around the fire at the end of the day and them young ones are running around and they, they start hearing stories about being on the other side of the earth playing a game. Mm-hmm. Like not just mm-hmm. here, but over on the other side where, where you're not even from, right? And, and the dynamic of when you were talking about you can get pushed in either direction. There's One of my f- favorite right. stories is about the two wolves that lives inside of you. One of them is hate, discontent, and rage. One of them is love, patience, respect. And the one you feed is the one that wins. Right, mm-hmm. and if you feed both of them, that's a balanced life. One of them can take over from the other one, and that this that, and the other. But when you go down that path that of not hurting people, it allows you to live the life you want to live freely. They won't snatch it away from. You. Matter of fact, they'll try and give it to you. Uh, and that mm-hmm. that's the main difference is that you don't have to sweat that part of it. Like at any moment, it could be taken away. It's like no, no, no. At any moment, they're going to give you more of it because you keep doing so well with it. And if right. you if and I was trying to tell my son, I was like, son, go out. I want you to go out there and play, meaning have fun. Don't try and play. If you go out there and try real hard to play, you're not playing. That's not what that is. And when I coach the athletes, the most amazing things you all do are when no one's looking. Mm-hmm. When you're on that court mm-hmm. balling by yourself, man, I see shots, and this you don't even try. You're not even trying. And, they, and it's just all day long. And then when the court, when everyone gets on there, it's just like, wrong. My, my kids sometimes, we can't even dribble. And I was like, that's okay. That's, that's right. just man, being around everybody else. But in, if you go out there and you're just playing around them, mm-hmm. like you said that perfect. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, if you're out there trying to do it, the hard, it'll, it'll get hard on you. It's like trying to live your reputation. If you try to live your reputation, that ain't going to work. Just live your life and your reputation will grow around you. That's what you've done. Amazing. Yes, I agree with that. And uh, thank you. And I agree with everything that you just said there, Marcus. And also, Melanie, what you were saying, when your son's out there playing, and they're, they're running around, they might not know the rules. That's where the experience comes in. That's where yeah. we got to take the training, and then we have to go out into the, we got to get off the simulator, we got to go out into, and do the real thing. And like you said, the deep end of the pool, and it's either sink or swim. That's what Kobe said about coming from high school to the my NBA. Man, right? <laughs> sink or swim. You want to make it or you won't, but we got to find out. Yeah. I feel like the problem with us, which this is offset, I mean, we're going on our end, but uh, 
the community league only has one practice a week and they don't really teach them the oh, game. Yeah. They're just doing drills, which I get it. Like mm. they're just learning basics right now, but they also need to learn the actual game. Yeah. So Kobe's been haunting <laughs> me for, for a few weeks now. I mean, seriously, like in my head, Kobe's with me all the time. But like, you got to get this kid right. I'm like, oh, I mean, I'm trying. <laughs> I, cause you know how we are, man. But once we get in there, I'm like, no, we'll practice all day. I'll have that kid dribble until his hands bleed. Yeah. Right. That's, That's why right. it's good to have an offset. Like, <laughs> Yeah, where so, I'm like, okay, right. let's, oh, let's go take do a break. Else. He needs to eat. I'm like, no, he doesn't. Doesn't need food. <laughs> right. Kobe said he had his daughters practicing every day. Every day. Every, yeah. day. every day. Yeah. Every day. Well, Once I they wanna... decide that they're in, that that's the thing. Yeah. And it's I don't right. have kids, so that's where it becomes. That's where you got to make a judgment call as a parent. Like, all right, should I keep pushing them because they need it, or do I kind of take the, my foot off the gas and let them be a kid? Sure. I don't know the answer to that question. I don't think there's a right answer. That's that's the right answer. The minute right. I know something, I don't know it because it's going to change. That's the only constant down here is if you like something, don't worry, it'll change. If you don't like it, don't worry, it'll change. <laughs> right. <laughs> On a personal level, was that scary going to Lithuania and traveling all around Europe when you grew up in Philadelphia, you know, in a kind of shelter? I'm, I'm imagining mm. you didn't travel the world when you were young. No, I barely left the state of Pennsylvania when I was young. Yeah. So. That was, no, it was not scary at all. It was actually exciting. What would be scary is to still be there. Yeah. That is what would be scary. Had I never left, had I never done anything, because the neighborhood that I come from, I was just back there. My parents still live in the same house I grew up in. And when I was just back there this past summer, a lot of the same people are still there. And the people that I know that did move off the block, they didn't move that far. I mean, they're like a 20-minute car ride from being right back where they came from. And I knew the world, I didn't know, no, but I knew that the world was way bigger than where I came from. I, I, we had TV back then, we didn't have the internet, but we, really had, we didn't have smartphones. We had TV, we had magazines, we had movies. I knew there was a lot out there in the world for me to see. So as soon as I got my opportunity to see it, I said, I'm getting out of here and going. And the, any chance that I had to stay and not have to go back, then I'm leaving. And that's exactly what I did. That's really cool. And it shows a lot about you is that, because most... Kids would be, I mean, even as a kid, 20-year-old, would be terrified mm. um, to go somewhere where you don't speak the language, you don't know, but instead it, it excited you and drove you to work even harder to go there. Most kids don't even like leaving the school they were in to go to like the junior high or high school, yeah. even in the same town. <laughs> I, I read a statistic, and I may be, yeah. I, I think I'm shooting low on this number, but 50% of all people don't leave the town they grew up in. Yeah. Think about yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's true. Think about how. I think how, that's, a, I how, think that's how, think about uh, that. underselling it. Right. Yeah. As much and as much as we travel, so I take it like the iPad looks like a window on an airplane, and every time you look through that right. window, now those kids can see everything mm-hmm. through that window. We didn't have that. Ours was limited, and so we had to actually go out. And when you stand, right. the, what that electronic, it, it, there's so much that's eliminated from that. Mm-hmm. That when you're actually there, like when you're feeling it and. And I heard, always heard the further you travel, the more you learn. Like wisdom is set far yeah. from, when, from when you come in. When you're, wherever you're born, imagine that's the starting gate. And you may end up back right. there, but the roads lead all, all, all around. And every, every yeah. time you, you roll out, man, you come back with something. Imagine now when you roll back in the neighborhood, people know that. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're like, he traveled they the do. world. He traveled played, I mean, yeah. think about when we were kids, when, when you heard about there's somebody in your neighborhood who's been like anywhere. Or done anything. Hell, got up on the right. jumbotron at a football <laughs> game true. on Sunday. Okay, that's a big deal. Very true. Right, and you're up there all Very the true. time. I, I just, I, and I couldn't appreciate. You can't appreciate why you're in it. You can't because it, it would stop you. I think if you really learn to appreciate life the way I, I, I see it now, while you're going through it, you would stop and marvel at every moment so much that you couldn't live out another one. Hundred percent true. And as kids, like you said, the era that we come from. If you wanted to see things, you had to actually leave the house. You had the TV and that was everything else. You had to leave the house. You wanted to meet people. You had to go outside. Mm-hmm. Now you can do a lot of that through the a electronic device. And I think that is keeping people in the house. It's keeping people kind of in there in a shelter. It's keeping them in a shell. And it's not you're not developing the same social skills, talking to someone on a direct message as you are talking to somebody face to face, looking them in their eyes, shaking their hands, feeling their energy. All of that stuff matters. And that's where that well-roundedness that you talked about, 
we had no choice. And this is why I say our generation, people who are between the ages of about 30 to 50, we are the best generation. And the reason yeah. is 100%. We, had the, we had the real life experience because we didn't have a choice. Coming up to the year, let's say up to about 2010, if you wanted to meet people or get anything done, you had to have personal one-on-one conversation. You had no choice. Yeah. But at the same time, we are young enough that when the internet and all this stuff, all these devices came in, we were young enough to take advantage of that as well. So we have the perfect mix. Whereas people older than us, they're too old. They couldn't get on hold of the electronic stuff. And these younger people, they didn't get the real life. It wasn't forced upon them. So yeah. we are the perfect generation, 30 to 50. I, want to, I, agree, I agree with, with all that, that for sure. I mean, cause and there's pr- th- I just say there's proof of that. Yeah. I mean, that, if <laughs> yes, there was is. a study, that. that would definitely show true. So you're getting out of the mm-hmm. European League. And how did you transition from that to where you're at now? Excellent question. So... Yeah, the first thing was around that 2008, 2010 period. At one point, I found myself, I was a free agent, so I didn't have a job playing ball. And I had all this content on the internet. I was putting the videos out. I had a little website. I would blog every now and then. And people were liking my stuff. They just liked the way that I expressed myself and I articulated. But it wasn't a business at that point. Now, at this time, a bunch of things happened at the same time. So the first was being unemployed. The second was... YouTube started monetizing videos. You actually make money from putting videos on YouTube because up to that point, YouTube was just no cat videos and your your baby did something funny. It wasn't it wasn't a business. So I was able to make some money from YouTube videos. So now everybody started doing it. Yeah, you remember that. So now everybody started doing it, and because I already had a bunch of videos out, I had uh, some buzz to my name because I was doing it way before it was a cool thing to do, and I wasn't doing it for the money. I was doing it just to kind of pay it forward to the players who needed the same things that I had needed, but nobody had given to me. And at the same time, I read this book called The Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. And he had talked about how you can test out a product on the internet and you know, actually sell it. So I followed what he said, and it was a very simple thing. And I started selling basketball training programs for $4.99 online. And I remember the first sale that I made. This is probably around 2009. I used to have a BlackBerry phone. I know y'all remember the BlackBerry. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so if you got an email on a BlackBerry, the little red light would start blinking. And I got the email that said, you made a sale, $4.99. And it was so primitive the way I had my thing set up is that I didn't even have auto delivery. So if you bought something from me, a digital product, I had to open my computer and send you an email and attach the product to the email and send it to you. I did that for about a week before I figured out auto delivery systems. But the whole thing was when I made that first sale that night, I said to myself, this is what I need to be doing because I can trade on my intellectual property for the rest of my life, but I cannot trade on my physical ability for the rest of my life. I can't jump higher than everybody. So there was a moment, but I can. Yeah. Yes. There's an actual, I I try and say that too. I was like, no, I I remember going into the first life, probably like you did when you got into the teams. It's like, Hey, I'm Mm -hmm. all in. I'm going to live, eat and breathe this life. That's that's all I got. And and then there's a moment when you realize that settles in and, um, it won't come before it's supposed to or after. It, it, it settles in right when it's supposed to, and you know it, and that's the refreshing part about stepping off and doing something new. Most people, I think, they get right. lost because they, they either don't wait or enough or they get too impatient with it, but it does happen for sure. Yeah, it does. And so I made that first sale, you know, kept making programs and selling them. And mind you, I kept playing ball at this point. I didn't quit basketball. So this is about halfway through my career. I didn't stop playing until 2015. So when I started doing those weekly motivation videos, as I spoke about earlier, when I was just talking about mindset, the interesting thing that happened, and this is the thing that really led me to where I am today, was that people who didn't even play basketball started following me online and they would watch my stuff and they would say, Dre, I'm following you not because I'm trying to learn how to make the NBA or dunk a basketball. I follow you just to watch that weekly motivation. I don't watch anything else you put out because I don't need to learn how to do the Kobe move. But when you do that, when you do that weekly motivation, I watch that because the way you're talking about it, anybody can use that. That's not an athlete thing. That's a, yeah. a business thing. That's right. a life it's, it's thing. What's that's a life skills. It goes, yeah, it goes into making you up, right? That's the bad. That's bad. Exactly. So when people would tell me that, they said, Dre, this is life stuff. That's not athlete stuff. So that planted seed in my mind. Okay, when I'm done playing ball, I'm just going to take this little element right here. And then I'm going to see what I can do with this. Where can I take this? But I didn't know anything about the, the thought leadership world, about, you know, mind you, self-publishing was just becoming a thing at this time where you could publish your own book and you didn't have to go through a gatekeeper. I didn't know there was such thing as professional speaking. I didn't know there was such thing as 
people paying you money to give them advice, what we now call coaching. I didn't know any of that existed. So but all I had in my mind was, I know that these mental things that I'm giving people are valuable. That's all I knew. So when I got out of playing ball around 2015, I had met a woman who was in that world. She was doing speaking, coaching, writing books, all that stuff. And she became my mentor. And everything she told me, I wrote it down and I followed it. So I was, I've always been a student. You know, so I knew when I'm coming across someone who has the information that I don't have, get the information. So I would just take notes on everything she said, execute on everything she told me. And that's kind of how I got started in the game of thought leadership. But at the same time, I already knew how to sell things because of what I learned from Tim Ferriss five years earlier. So then I just you know, branded this whole philosophy, work on your game, created a framework out of it. And you know, the rest became history. We're still writing the history. We're still going. What was it like when you got your first book? Man, well, I wrote my first book around that same time when I first started. So that was, it was called Buy a Game. And it was just me telling my early basketball story. And I put it out for free because I had a lot of basketball players watching me right now, a big basketball fan audience at that time. So it was just me telling the story. And it was great because the funny thing about it, Melanie, and this is something that I learned about building an audience, is that that book was really, about five years later, I went back to do the audio version of the book. So when you do your audio book, you have to read your own book. And it was so poorly written. Like the grammar wasn't good. There was so many mistakes in it. I'm like, man, I'm I was a terrible writer five years ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm the writing was like, terrible. So is your next book a, a re going back through what you've learned while teaching people yeah. what you've learned, right? And, and I, I find it fascinating. This is the best part. And I don't know if you could pick this up because you have to see it from our vantage point. But when someone acknowledged you for something that you didn't even, you weren't even aware that you were doing. Like actually mm -hmm. being a solid man and, and, and this the discipline that goes into that, people are like, ah. and I'm curious as because you were famous for, for multiple things. Mm -hmm. And it's and the, and that's how you know that it's kind of part of you because you don't most people have to try to do something and then as soon as the camera shuts off, they're they're completely opposite of what they're trying to do. But as you're teaching somebody to do something, the actual other part that they're learning from has nothing to do with the game. It's how you carry yourself. Right. And, and to right. balance, a lot of people can't balance that because, well, they were trying to get into something they weren't. They didn't stay in their lane, so to speak. And when you, you'll, you'll know mm -hmm. when someone's really solid because it's, it's, they don't even focus on that stuff. It's just a part of them. I thought. That's right. And to this day, even Marcus, I have people who grew up watching me play. I get messages like this all the time. A player will say to me, Dre, man, I was watching your basketball videos when I was 13. I thought I was going to the NBA, but now I'm 23. You know, I have my own IT firm or I just started <laughs> working at this corporate place or you right? know, I That's just graduated awesome. from college or, you know, I'm trying to become a speaker now. I didn't I only played basketball through high school or I thought I was going to play in college. It didn't work out. I started doing this thing. And then I just refound you again on Instagram. I saw your ad on Instagram. It's good to see you're still doing your thing. Man, I'm trying to get into what you're doing. So these people, a lot of these kids grew up with me. Yeah. you know, through the basketball, but now they see that I'm doing something that's not even basketball and they're refinding me now. And you're 100% correct, Mark, is that the main thing of my framework was just showing up every day doing the work, which is what I was always doing, but I wasn't even talking about it. Yeah. Now I kind of talk about it. I made it more conscious, but you're 100% correct. This is just who I am as a person. And that's what makes it genuine. This is what makes it authentic. That's like Marcus. He, a lot of people follow him because of his Navy SEAL uh, career and all of that, but nowadays it's more because of who he is and how he carries himself and just the dad and the husband that he is. It's like the hard part of our life is what hammers that in. I mean, there are times <laughs> in my life where like it felt like someone was hammering that into me, and that's the only way I could look at it. You don't get battle weak and you get battle hardened. Period. I don't care how bad you've been whipped, man. You got you get back up, you're good to go. We were, right. we, had a, we were doing a Patriot tour, and some of the teachers that had been shot in one of the school shootings were there and with the kids. And, they, and I was talking, mm -hmm. I was like, you can look at that as a summer thing, or you can look at it as like, if I had a teacher that was shot, I wouldn't have messed with her. I was like, that, you know how long it took me to get a <laughs> swagger like that? Like, well, I, I literally learned how to walk as cool with that, with that strut you got now. Because when people find out you go through something hard, all, all the self-help books are written about people like that. All mm -hmm. the... When people are in a bad spot, they look mm -hmm. to people who have been through the adversity. So if you are truly blessed to have been through something like that, then take the blessing and teach people. It's like, hey, I, you know, we're resilient. Yeah, we're, don't stop now. All right. You yeah, know, just keep going. Use that horrible day that happened, that horrible thing that happened to you, and teach others that you can keep going. And Yeah, a few yeah. minutes or a day of your life shouldn't define all the days that you're blessed down here with. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not kind of like fuel for it. 
the, the further you, the, 100%. you get away from that, right? And it's yeah. Yeah, and using those, using the challenges of your life to make yourself better for the future. Basically, you basically summarize the entire self-help industry right there. If people understood that, we, there'd be no books. Well, <laughs> and it we perpetuates just it to us. Them in different ways so they yeah. understand. It perpetuates us to get out there to, to keep going. Right. You're like, why do you keep up? Keep, right. keep, keep doing this. Like, man, I don't know. It's like an autopilot now. Like, it's routined in there so much that the body, the brain, the spirit's like, all right, let's get up, turn that fire up real hot because we're gonna jump right in it, and and get you know pure ourselves out. And then people, the internet. When you're talking about YouTube and the the ability for everybody to get on there to. Yeah. It, it does have its advantages. I get I get online sometimes just mm-hmm. to watch, in amazement. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't think something's possible, type it in, and look it up. Right. And, and you probably see somebody Agreed. getting it done. Yeah. And that to me is is uh, is amazing. Do your parents look yeah, at you they, now and are super proud of everything that you've accomplished? Yes, they are. They're really proud of it. I mean, they had no idea it was going to become what it was going to become. I mean, think about it. I mean, I was born in, what, 82, grew up through the 90s. So when I graduated college in 04, who saw social media? Nobody. You know, my parents had no idea. When I told them I wanted to be a pro basketball player, it didn't make sense to them because I told you my backstory. It wouldn't have made sense to any reasonable, logical person that I was going to become a pro basketball player. So they didn't know. They wanted their kids to be successful, but they didn't know how the type of success that I created. They didn't know this was coming. Nobody knew the Internet was coming. Nobody knew if I was going to make it in basketball, but I was able to make it happen. So they're proud of that, even though they probably couldn't explain you know, what exactly it is that I do. Other than the books, <laughs> I mean, they get that part, but the rest of it, they don't get. <laughs> hey, my uh, dad, uh, check it out. I'm going to be a special agent on YouTube. Uh, motivation and inspiration. What's a YouTube? What's wrong with this kid? <laughs> Are you still selling your basketball clinics? Oh, the programs? Uh-huh. The programs, yes. Okay. The digital programs, self-training. We're going to have to download that for ah, And this is what I wanted to bring up to you. So imagine how many people that you know tune in to you and everything. I'd triple that as, as to how many people actually know and, and have followed you and what you've taught and touched. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I, I see that. That's one of the things is people base their numbers. I was like, man, I don't think that's how that works. That's kind of a guesstimate. Mm-hmm. Because the minute they're off, one person turns around and tells somebody else that it's it's pan, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to, that that phone only qualifies it for the internet. It has no idea right. what happens once that phone goes down. Once you unplug out of the matrix, and then you go back to real life. Most people pass your name around and pass at least what you taught around, mm-hmm. and oh, that, that'll, that'll always work back. That kind of energy works back to you. The harder you push oh, in the 100%. right direction, man, eventually. Yes. All that negative stuff just pushes away from you. You create that bubble, and it's, man, that's amazing. Seriously. Right. Law of reciprocity, law of karma, law of the universe, all those laws. Yeah. It's real. It's real. <laughs> we know it. It's real. Um, so if you were to go back and change anything that you – is there anything you would change in your legacy? Anything that I would change – No, probably not, because I wouldn't if I had changed anything, it's kind of like the butterfly effect. We wouldn't be here having this conversation right now. Uh, Only thing if I could do anything different, let's say if I had if I'm teaching someone who's 20 years younger than me, what would I do different at your age? I would get into personal development earlier. I would understand the, the value of investing in yourself, understand the value of the law of association. Getting around the right people is more valuable than is even more valuable than all the hard work you can do yourself. When you have the right people around you, you can go further, faster. If you have the wrong people around you, you will go down and go backwards faster. Mm-hmm. So those associations is the biggest thing, that you will become your peer group. That's the biggest thing that I would tell somebody. But if I would change anything specifically about my life, no. Isn't that so? That's one thing that I remember my parents telling me when I was like 15, 16 years old. They, the uh, <laughs> saying was, birds of a feather flock together. So don't hang That's out right. with the bad kids. But I mm. never listened to that. I always had a couple of bad friends. <laughs> and when I was me with too. them, I made bad choices. But me too. in the time, <laughs> I didn't, I, I just, I never really thought about it. And I didn't even pay attention to what my parents were saying. I thought that what they were saying was just, they were old people. And so I, I don't know, nowadays, now that I'm 42 years old, I look back and I'm like, ah, if I could go back and shake that young girl and just say, do not hang out with those bad kids or whatever, I would, I would listen. But 
It's hard to get it to the yeah, point no. when you are that age. Yeah, you're correct in that. And every, I think every parent who was a good parent told their kids that. My parents said that to me too. I think the difference between, let's say, us, if we were telling kids nowadays that, or you all as parents versus our parents, is that we could explain it in a little bit more detail and explain why it makes sense. We could break it down logically, why you don't want to hang with these people because this, then this, then this. That's right. Whereas our parents would just say, don't hang with them. Yeah. And we're like, well, why? You right. Know, and they couldn't end. They just said, just do what I said. Because birds of a feather well, don't now, flock together. I don't even know what that means, damn it. <laughs> yeah, what yeah, exactly. Some of them do. You don't know that. So we wanted, to, we wanted to go against it because we couldn't understand. They didn't explain it. And I don't know about the household that uh, y'all come from. Actually, I do because I heard you on, uh, Marcus, I heard you on Megan Kelly. So I know a little bit about the households you came from. But the household that I came from, your parents told you something. That was it. There was no why. Yep. Uh, you, the kids didn't ask why. That wasn't in our repertoire. Mm. So... When the parents would say, don't hang with these kids, I had an idea of what they meant, but they never tried to explain it and they didn't really have to explain it. But at the same time, something you said earlier, Marcus, is that is that you have the, the negative side inside of you and you have the positive inside of you. I think every well-rounded person has a little bit of both. So the fact that I didn't I don't I didn't want to be around too many negative people and I don't want to be around negative people these days, but my experiences of being around those people, you know, where I come from, we call them the wolves. Yep. Those are the, the, the people that you don't want to mess with. But the fact that I'm not uncomfortable being around those people is part of my well-roundedness. Sure. Is the fact that I don't want to be around them, but I'm not uncomfortable if I am. Right. And if one of those them comes around me, they can tell by my energy and my, in, in my approach that they're not going to do anything here now. They're not supposed to. If I didn't have the experience of being around the bad kids, then I wouldn't know what to do if a bad kid came around. It's kind of like uh, Machiavelli said in The Prince. Yep. Any king who tries to be too good, eventually you're going to come across some people who are not good. Right. What are you going to do? If you don't know how to deal with not good people, how are you going to deal with all the not good people that are out there in the world? You can't just expect everything to be utopian. You got to, you know, you got the offer a glass of wine in one hand and you got the sword in the other hand, just in case whichever one you need to use. Well, I mean, the difference is between being around them and being like them. Mm -hmm. And would you mm -hmm. rather have a warrior in the garden or a gardener in That's the right. war? And I, there, as a gardener, I learned that, man, there's some things don't grow well together. Some things do. Some things overshadow something. Some things don't. Some things last. Some things don't. Right. We mm. saw a, a meme yesterday that Marcus and I laughed so hard at, but you have to think about it for a second. It said, uh, you think you can hurt my feelings? I held the flashlight for my father. <laughs> when that, you were a kid, that was one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Flashlight. Dad's like, damn it, keep that thing straight. I can't even fuck you. I mean, you son of a I mean, the worst ass chewings for, what do you, you don't even, they wouldn't explain anything. Yeah, they just cuss you out. <laughs> Have belt come off, man. You'd be hauling in there. But I mean, whoever was outside, you just want to go play with them. We didn't want to be in the house because you just want to be. You didn't want to be home. We're right. children of divorce. I mean, we're literally the X Men, old and new, and everything they could throw at war. I mean, everything, and it created this. And the children of spankings. Yeah. I mean, the kids down, nowadays freaking... don't get spankings, but I got a spanking. I know you got oh, spankings. <laughs> yes. So, and we all got spankings back then. You can't yeah, do that anymore. They'll, that they'll is report you. A huge difference between <laughs> See, these generations. I think this is, that's too because then when they would be like, "Hey, we're going to report you," he was like, "Well, I'll whip his ass too. Get that principal out. I'll whip his ass." That they, my, that's how it was, man. Like it's like, all right, just whip that kid. Don't go that's whip that, everybody that's else. Exactly how right? it was. And if you called somebody as soon as they left, you get your ass whipped again. Like mind your. Business. Let me handle my business. Yeah, like exactly. people walk up, like why he was like, mind your damn business, man. That, they, no, you didn't they didn't explain anything. nothing, yeah, and you that stayed out of you why? stayed out of other people's business, right? Especially with their kids. And they were looking to stare at somebody getting their ass with them, and then the dad look over like, oh, you want some of that? And like, no, no, sir, not at all. I don't want any of that, man. I, I was going that there way. There was no parent <laughs> shaming because no. the parent oh, would end up whipping their yeah. Their the neighbor man just go over there and let's wave it. I don't even want to look at you. Yeah, it was parent. It was it was parent encouraging. Actually, the other parents would tell your parents, hey, he needs yeah. ass whipped. That's, that's why, why I did that. Yeah, that's why, that's why I love that neighbor, right? Because he was like, man, I don't have the courage to whip your ass like I should. So I'm going to well, send you the neighbor and let him do it. could do it. That's right. When I was a kid, you could go to the principal's office and get a paddle. Yeah. Now, that ended when it, in my probably junior high years. But when I was in elementary school... You got a paddle, and I never got spanked at school, but I know some kids that did, and they didn't even Yeah, you married their... one of them. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> <laughs> they the teachers were with my ass. The principal, heaven help you if he showed up. 
<laughs> it's usually just the teacher right. shit in the filing cabinet. You hear that door slam, like, oh. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. With kids who knew what it felt like to get their ass whipped were more disciplined. Yes, they were. They knew how to behave. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming People on. We've had you for an hour, but we just, we really appreciate yeah, you man, sharing I, your story. And We're going to bring you back. We need to get you out here. You say, are you in Miami, said? Miami. Where well, are you all like, specifically? You're in Texas, right? Houston yeah, yeah, area. Houston area. But yeah. we get to Miami too, though, next time we're down. Yeah. Okay. Um, but how yeah, can we share uh, with the people that listen to the podcast? Like, how can they find you? What do you want to tell them about your downloads or your programs or whatever? All right. Well, I have a book that everyone can get for free if they just cover the shipping. Can I share that? Yeah. Yep. All right. So this is my newest book. It's called The Third Day, The Decision that Separates the Pros from the Amateurs. And this book is all about that that discipline like we talked about showing up in the days when you don't feel like showing up when you are depleted you don't have the energy it's not new anymore the novelty's worn off and you don't really feel like going in but how do you show up your best in those moments and as a professional we don't really have a choice we have to show up and what's the mentality that goes behind that that's what this book is all about it's all about showing up every single day and delivering as the professional that you are expected to be and i will give Everyone who's listening, a free copy of this book, physical copy of the book. All you have to do is cover the shipping. Just tell me where to send it. Just go to thirddaybook.com. It's spelled out thirddaybook.com. And as far as me, uh, the best place that you can probably connect with me where I, I respond all the time is on Instagram. My Instagram is just my name, at Dre Baldwin. And I'm on all the other platforms as well. Everybody knows how to use them. Just look my name up, whichever one you like. I'm on there. Active every day. Awesome. And you're selling your, your basketball programs through what? On your website? Our or? basketball programs are at hoophandbook.com. Hoophandbook.com. We're going we're gonna to be one of your customers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. Man, you just talked about the way you said that. It, uh, the, days that um, the days that are hard in the gym, like when you don't want to be in there, right. you don't want to go on, those are the discipline days. Like, don't look That's at it like correct. you're going in to train your body. Don't look at it like you're going in, you're yep. going in to train your discipline. I've mm-hmm. never explained it like that. But when you look at it like that, because all you have to do is show up. That's that's 100%. you know just show up, man. Thank you for the Staff knowledge. I'm showing up. I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate both of you, Marcus, Melanie. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks, Trey. Yep, appreciate it, man. God bless you, man. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Team Never Quit podcast. Make sure you subscribe anywhere you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. You can find us on social media and YouTube at Team Never Quit, where we're dropping new content every single week. Make sure you check out our website, teamneverquit.com. And until next time, remember, never quit. <laughs>